Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And what a packed show we have for you today. We're going to review all that happened at Tottenham. What a game. I'm going to say it. I think it's the best game that we've had on the International Series weekend. We're going to look, we're going to speak to Troy Dinney, Danny Cipriani, and Johnny Bairstow. Caught up with Will Gavin, pitch side. We're going to go into the locker room. Me, Will Gavin, Matthew Sherry will break down the rest of week five and we'll talk about the first head coach to be hired, to be hired, to be fired so far this season. This is The Gridiron Show. Welcome to The Gridiron Show. Ollie Hunter in the studio, Matthew Sherry down the line, and Will Gavin coming back from the estate agents. I'm sure he will join us momentarily. Matthew Sherry, firstly, it was wonderful seeing you at the weekend, and secondly, how are you, my dear fellow? Oh, wonderful, Ollie. All the better for spending a, a few hours after the game with you and for, for getting so caught up in the bug of Tottenham that I'm going to come back again this Sunday. I'm, I'm, I mean, that place is awesome. I'm looking forward to getting back down there again. Well, before we get to... Yes, it's Jay Gruden of the Washington Football Club. No surprises that he was fu- he was fired. Um, what was it? Monday morning. Monday morning. Before we get into that, let's talk about that Spurs stadium and the game. Firstly, I said it in in the intro. There, I think it's the best game I've seen in the international series. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I think. I mean, there have been some good games, no denying it. I think the thing that puts this one over the top for me is the feeling inside the stadium. And, and you know, I, I've always thought that the atmosphere was, was good for these games at Wembley, but, I mean, so different to what we what we hear in the state. You know, we've heard it so often compared to a Super Bowl atmosphere, and, and that, that holds a lot of water. Although the other thing I would say on that is the last few Super Bowls have been very loud for one team or the other. Um but this was different, wasn't it? It felt like the action was on top of you. The stadium kind of, it has that 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 NFL viewing angle in terms of, I can't really describe it, but no matter where you are, you have a great view of the field and it's because of the way they tilt the, the stands and, and mm. I know that that was done on purpose. But that also keeps the noise in the stadium as well. Um, I thought it was just spectacular and... Great that we had an upset, um, although even if the Bears had pulled off the comeback, it would have still been a great game. I, I just felt I just felt real tension inside the stadium. Yeah. Like, you know, I was watching Game Pass at the same time, and I'll be honest with you, and some of these other games that have been six o'clock early on in covering them, you know, I would just sit and watch Game Pass and, and look up every once in a while. By the by the kind of early on in this game, I was just glued to what, what was actually going on on the field as opposed to, to my laptop with the other games. So, yeah, I, I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Everything about it. I mean, you know, from our perspective, I know you guys were in the radio booth, but the press box view is absolutely out of this world. And Wembley's is also really good, to be fair. But I just, it was great. I mean, I, I didn't have a single complaint. I managed to walk around the field a little bit before the game. And, you know, there was a real feeling of excitement. And it, and, I, and I guess a feeling for us all involved in the industry of, you know, I was chatting to Neil Reynolds and Richard Graves and the guys from the BBC. And this is another one of those moments where we, we kind of look around and and we just have a smile on our face. Because, you know, for me personally, that the NFL is, is, 
is a life you know it's it's a lifeblood for me it's yeah it's my permanent job for the magazine and then the book and things like that and 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 when i when i say things like sunday you know yes selling more magazines in the last few years has been amazing and all the things that we, we're now doing with video and that i love all that but just that it's a tangible thing for me that says you know this is this is really going well and i loved it I, I can't disagree with anything that you've just said there. I, one of the main things for me was that uh, we had, um, up in the radio booth, we had Red Zone on at the same time. And when it, it would cut in previous years to Wembley or to Twickenham or even to, to Mexico on, on Game Pass you and Red Zone, you, you just thought, oh, yeah, that's in, a, that's in a soccer stadium. It looked like it was in a stadium in the States. It looked like yeah. a bone of... it. Did, there was no difference. The game really lived up to it as well. The sight lines throughout the stadium are unreal. But I think it's even... It's, it's all the little details with the, 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 the Raiders signage all the way around, you know, the, the digital signage on each level, um, the play clock being in the vomitories in the in the big cop stand i think um i think uh, derek carr missed one of those with a delay of oh. game halfway through the the game but it just it just felt like you were in america and it's it's a far more and i really liked twickenham the experience of twickenham because it felt like you were going to an old school kind of like philadelphia eagles-esque old stadium with a bit more bit of tailgate outside it, that that for me kind of felt a bit more authentic than going to Wembley for an, for an American experience. This felt like a bona fide in the stadium American experience. I couldn't have been more impressed. And the game really lived up to it. You had the Raiders going ahead shockingly by 17 points and then the Bears scoring 21 points in the in the third quarter coming back and then you had a game-winning drive on the what well, the penultimate drive from um from the Raiders to win it. Josh Jacobs I thought that there were some incredible moments where it, it stereotypically lived up to being quintessentially American. So the game-winning touchdown was a jump over the pile, wasn't it, from Josh Jacobs, which I thought that's the kind of thing that people, that non-Americans and, and British fans and, and maybe non-NFL fans think, oh, they do that. They jump over the pile and they try and get the ball in the end zone. We even had, we even had a trick play that went right. We yeah. had interceptions. We had fumble recoveries. We had, um, we had long runs. We had long receptions. The game had everything. I just, I just yeah, loved I'm, it. I'm- and and just just a final point on on the stadium itself. You know, I, I spoke to a bunch of US sports writers and just said, look, I think it compares. I, I mean, I'd, I've written a piece actually in the game program this week, and I've written a piece on. I think I've been to uh, seventeen of thirty two stadiums to cover games in the NFL, and uh, I've written a piece on my favourite ones from those experiences, but. I just said, look, I think this is comparable. What do you think? And they said, yeah, I mean, it's not just comparable. This is one of the best stadiums in the NFL. And every single one of them said that. And I, I interviewed um, Chris Halpin, who is the, the, the new head of international on the field before the game. And I told him that. And you could see the, the smile on his face. Because, mm. I mean, it is just, it's just a big deal. And, and I don't think until I got there on Sunday, and we'll ask Will about this, who's now joined us. Hello. I, I, don't, think, I, I don't think I had grasped just how important 
and how big a deal it was, really. I mean, I've changed the the flat plan for the next magazine. I'm putting together a big feature on it, featuring Halpin and and a little bit of Clark Hunt as well. And and, and yeah, I just think it's a it's it, it might be the most significant moment since 2007 for us. Was, Is it me? Yeah, I was waiting yeah, for you to come in there, buddy. I mean, you did shout right. rather loudly. Uh, during that no um we we've gone through we've waxed lyrical will about uh, welcome will gavin talk gav on I mean, twitter we've we've waxed lyrical lyrical we've waxed lyrical about the game about the stadium but just give us your thoughts because you spent the entire game pitch side uh, the opposite end to where all the touchdowns were scored but give us your take on what you how you felt about the stadium well firstly can't wait for the uh can't wait for the, the first touchdown at the South Stand end, assuming that I'm at that end again this coming week because uh, the, the atmosphere down at that end was phenomenal. I think that single rake really makes a big, big difference to how that comes across. Uh, how long into the podcast are we out of interest? Uh, just a couple of minutes. We've just chatted about the amazingness of talking. I mean, I mean, I mean Ollie, Ollie can give me an Eight minutes. Time. So I assume that was seven minutes on the brilliance that was the 49ers on Monday Night Football and then one minute on the Tottenham Stadium, right? Oh, uh, yeah, buddy. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. That's what's happened. We don't need to talk about the, the 49ers, actually. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Right, I don't want to repeat stuff that you guys have said already, and I'm sure a lot has been said. What I'll tell you is the perspective from where I was, which was uh, obviously the cacophony of noise was incredible on plays like uh, the Raiders interception, which essentially killed the game on the Alan Robinson second touchdown that put the Bears in front uh, on the Josh Jacobs fumble, which got the Bears back into the game or on those moments. It was genuinely deafening, even with a headset on, which is meant to block out as much noise as possible. It was incredible. Um, I think for me, it was speaking to uh, current players, former players, uh, and kind of the people of other sports that came through. So we had people like um, Johnny Bairstow, Danny Cipriani, uh, Troy Deeney, uh, Troy Deeney, yeah. who, who kind of came down to the sideline. Troy Deeney hasn't played there yet. And a lot of these guys have been to Super Bowls, have played in the IPL, which is a phenomenal atmosphere, have played in major stadiums around the world. And to a man, woman and boy, everyone was absolutely blown away by the atmosphere, by the visual, by the facilities itself. And I think the other thing for me is that the people that were watching it at home and I've, I came back and, and yesterday morning, I watched Red Zone back while I was doing jobs around the house because obviously we missed it during the game. It fits in. It, there's no point during the game where, during red zone, normally when it cuts to Wembley, you're like, ah, oh, right, there it is. The long grass, the yeah. different look, different camera angle, all that other stuff. It is an NFL stadium. It's also a brilliant football stadium. But when the pitch goes out and the field is there and the setup is for NFL, it's an NFL stadium. It's not a converted stadium. Yeah, I, I, I said that before you arrived. It filled the every the whole thing. It all felt like it was meant to be. And I've got to if um if Vegas wasn't ready next year and uh, the Bears had won, we heard it. We heard rumors of it at the Super Bowl that the NFL had put in a proposal to the um, NFL UK put a proposal to the NFL saying we could we could take um, we could take the Raiders. I reckon. Yeah. I reckon that I, if it's not ready, I reckon it could happen. I reckon the Ra- well, well, the Raiders did win, so they, they've. They, I think it could happen. 
The reason the reason it didn't happen, and we were told this by um, Alistair Kirkwood, is that they were asked to put a proposal together for could the Raiders play all eight home games in London, and they did so, and they figured it out, and it could have happened. It was on the table. The NFL had basically said that works for us, but the um, but the Raiders decided for footballing reasons they didn't want to be the first team to kind of road test that idea. My feeling is that maybe they would have that same approach. I hope that having been for the full week, having been to the Grove, I saw um, Adam Hodge, who's uh, kind of a a mate of ours who does a a Bears radio show and podcast. I saw him tweeting something about um, how the Bears didn't lose because they were tired, uh, about how, um, you know, that can't be used as an excuse, etc. But one of the things he said was something along the lines of, you know, a whole they got to spend the week in their bed with their families at the training facility they know, rather than an hour-long bus journey without a police escort to and from training every day. And I just had to correct him and say, look, that is because they came in for one day, they won it at Allianz Park, it looks good, it's great for the media, everything else, but... If they come out for the week, they get to be in a beautiful five-star hotel with a golf course on site, with facilities there for you within walking distance. You know, it is set up for it to work for somebody if they're based, have a US base and a UK base. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I think it would work, but I think the Raiders probably would still make the decision to try and figure something out with Oakland. And I, and I actually don't think it's going to be a problem. I think the Vegas Stadium will be ready. Now, oh, drat. But it'd yeah, be great I, if it wasn't. I don't either. <laughs> I don't think we'll ever see a team over here permanently or even for a full season. I just, I just, I, I genuinely get the impression that from, from talking to, as I say, Christopher Halpern and also from the, the Clark Hunt interview that is on our Twitter feed. So if people want to see that, we tweeted it out on over the weekend. I, I genuinely think that the league is, is leaning towards, and, and this all depends on the CBA, but I think it's leaning towards, you know, that 17th week and, I get. I've got the feeling. I don't think that they got an 18 game schedule through, but I think they'll get a 17 game schedule through in the CBA negotiations. And if that happens, I just think we end up with anywhere between six and eight games a season, but no, no kind of permanent team. Which, which I actually think the majority of fans would would prefer. Yeah, I'd like to have seen them. I'd like to have seen them try it. That sounds way more. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds way, way more sinister than I wanted it to, but um, I, I would like to see an attempt made at it because I do. I still am absolutely convinced that you put a team over here, and in five years, if they even have a modicum of success—I mean, two winning seasons and one chop at the playoffs—in that time, if it's a gradual improvement, if it's a little bit like the Jags as they did over that first five years in London the number of people that would switch allegiances is way higher than they claim it to be. Because there are people who, and I'm not having a dig at these fans or anything, we all love this sport, but there are people who support the Minnesota Vikings because they're the first team they ever played with on Madden. And they've never been to Minneapolis and they've never been to that stadium and they don't have any personal connection with it. You might think you're the most diehard Vikings fan in the world, but when you watch a team eight times in a three month span you find yourself rooting for them and you find yourself being won over by them i don't think it would take long for them to develop a good fan base here but no, neither do I. I, don't, I don't think that's the biggest issue uh, really do I, I agree i've always agreed on that um i i, I just see it as a scenario where the the 17 the, the 17th game just opens up these options for the league that 
But but the, the the flip side of that is, I mean, people can read the, the piece in Gridiron is going to be about mainly about the future with a little bit of colour on Tottenham. But you know, there was also other other comments from Clark Hunt that suggest that actually they do still think a team's the best. So I, I think it's up in the air. I think the NFL is at a crossroads with the CBA. My guess is that the seventeen game thing happens and they they, they feel that that's the safer option. But I still think both things are on the table. Um, Ollie is encouraging me to throw to a little package of the guests that we chatted to on TalkSport this weekend to just get that impression of what they thought of the stadium. So here is Troy Deeney, Johnny Bairstow, uh, Danny Cipriani, former Ireland cricketer and now commentator Niall O'Brien. And if I re- remember that there were any others, I'll put them in there as well and I'll make sure they're introduced. Thanks, Nat. I'm down on the sidelines with Wickham striker Bayo Akin Fenwa, who's coming off a pretty good game yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, we're actually disappointed we didn't get all three points, but we can't begrudge. Um, three, two down with, I think, the last kick of the game and we managed to bring it back to 3-3 and that was my 150th appearance for Wickham Wanderers yesterday so it was a good day I mean you're a man known for being the beast being quite a unit we're going to have to let this third down ride out yeah. for a second here yeah. sir because this stadium is getting loud it's erupting it's erupting this place is insane let's wait and see what uh, what the Raiders do here Derek Carr come on, taking come it. on Raiders Done. Oh, here we go here we go Shuffle, shuffle, bang him. Oh, okay. Okay, it's heating up. It's tight, heating up. Tight end picking up the first down. Brilliant stuff. You've played in some pretty impressive football stadiums in your time. What do you make of this Tottenham Stadium hosting the NFL? You know what? I ain't going to lie. Um, it, I use this word every now and again. It, it, it's epic. Um, it, it actually feels like I, I was lucky enough to go to... Oh, that went real loud. So look, a quick, quick break from the interview. Quick break from the interview while the Raiderettes did their thing. Yeah. You were talking about this impressive stadium. I mean, you went to Atlanta, you were at the Super Bowl. How does this compare? You know what? The best way I could say, it feels like an NFL stadium. It feels like the Atlanta stadium I went for the Super Bowl. It's just got, um, an, uh, what I say, an extra dimension to it. I know it's new, but look, the back stand here, which sits, I think, 15,000, it's amazing. So the whole... One day I hope we can get um, Tottenham in the FA Cup before I retire. <laughs> that is, when you do retire, I mean, you could play full-back, right? I don't know, man. There's some big guys. <laughs> I keep saying I enjoy being the biggest on the pitch. These boys are some big boys. Well, Bayo, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for your time Always and uh, enjoy it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, brother. Thank you for taking the time out to chat with us. So TalkSport back pitch side at the Tottenham Stadium where we're bringing you exclusive live coverage of the Oakland Raiders and the Chicago Bears. And I'm delighted to say that joining me, England superstar Johnny Bairstow. Johnny, how are you enjoying this occasion here at Tottenham? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, what an occasion, what a spectacle. I mean, uh, as sporting events go, you, you see it over in America all the time and uh, all, all the entertainment and excitement that's around it. So have, to have it here in England and um, yeah, in a, in a fantastic new stadium is, is brilliant. Oh, and there's a touchdown. Boom. That couldn't have been more perfectly timed after you said how amazing the atmosphere is. We might have to let them go crazy for a moment. Yeah, I think we might have to because, yeah, we're right, we're right near the cannons and everything. I think the Raiders have got quite a few fans in. How, how does this compare to, like, say, the atmosphere you get in a big T20 game, say, in the IPL or in the Bash or something like that? Yeah, the IPL, obviously... Uh, when you go to, to Mumbai or 
Bangalore and you've got um, Kohli playing at Bangalore or you go to Chennai, the, the noise is emphatic. But, uh, but no, it's, it's a definitely a different kind of noise. <laughs> um, what about you personally? Are you an NFL fan? Do you follow the sport very much? Um, not massively, but I've, uh, I've followed it more since Christian Wade's gone over there. Uh, followed his progress and the transition, obviously, from rugby union to uh, to NFL, and hopefully, I was good to see him uh, not make the final cut. But amazed to see how well um, how well he's done, obviously, in the preseason games. Because um, to learn a completely new skill set, uh, to go over there and uh, play a completely new game uh, takes a lot of uh, determination and, and a lot of guts. Delighted to say the Gloucester fly half and last year's Premiership Player of the Season, we should mention, Danny Cipriani. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thank you. I think that's how everyone should announce someone, you know, when they've got something good in their lives going on. It's like, hey, this is Danny Cipriani. I got an A star at science. Like, <laughs> just, just give something a good fact after you've named their name, you know. I like that. It's good. Is, is that what it felt like winning Player of the Season, a bit like getting an A star in science? It felt a lot easier than getting an A-star in science. Jesus. <laughs> um, look, how are you enjoying this occasion, this fantastic stadium? Are you, are you a big NFL fan? Yeah, I love it. I, I, I love the intensity of the sport. I love uh, how each play means everything to them. Um, and I just like watching the behind-the-scenes, the hard knocks, the all-or-nothings, you know, the shows that they do. And, the, and, the, and the, the, what goes into their wins and makes, uh, makes the talent for, for everything they've got. Just a bit of noise being made on third down, so uh, we'll hold off for just one second while the Bears take this snap. The Raiders fans making plenty of noise. Chase Daniels completing it and getting the first down out to Trey Burton. What, what about that atmosphere? What about that noise that you get down here when you're in the bowl? Yeah, it's amazing to see it at, at pitch side level and just to see how big they are. Like There is some, there's some very big fellas that can shift over there. Um, and you can see, obviously, the, the, the fans in England that are supporting. It's amazing to see that there's such a big turnout for it. Um, we know that in Seattle with the Seahawks, Pete Carroll actually brought in some rugby players to, to try tackling, to teach them how to tackle rugby style. Seeing it up close down here, pitch side, what do you make of the tackling, the hits, the way that their form is? Could they learn a thing or two from, from a rugby style like you? Uh, I don't know if it's about learning. I think if two people share, then you, know, you can take something from it. It's not necessarily about one being above or or below in terms of the technique of something but in terms of their business model and how they run their sport it's obviously something rugby could learn from massively so it's uh, it's great just to see it and see it on pitch side level and, and get an appreciation of uh, the athletes Troy Deeney's with me Watford striker I would, normally we ask people first and foremost if they're an NFL fan you're out here rocking the Bears hoodie yeah I'm, I've, I've got into it like I've come to the last couple and I said then I was like trying to work out my team and figure out what's going on I don't want to like a firm favourite. I like a team that's a bit of an underdog, but the way the Bears have started this season, uh, we could be with a shout, but what a second half this has been. Hey, you're a guy who likes to put yourself about, get a bit physical. <laughs> that's very much what this Bears team is like. Yeah, but the work first half, I was a bit nervous. I've come out all kitted up, as you say, and they're making me look like a fool, but thankfully second half they've come out and shown basically what this season's been built on, the attacking intent as well. Not just running, but throwing through the, the uh, whip and going through the middle. So... No, it's been a real good game. Actually, the atmosphere has been incredible and you have to uh, appreciate Sorry, I'm watching the screen as I'm talking. It's a hell of a touchdown as well. That's, that's a catch. That's yeah. absolutely a catch. That, that, that could be what sees them over now because I feel like the way they're going, if you remember the first half, they couldn't, couldn't get a, a touch or anything in terms of uh, offensive movement. And now, it looks like we've got everything to do is going forward and they're going to go on and win. We're going to end up getting a reaction to it live as well. The crowd's going to pop off in a minute. I feel like we should hold off chatting about anything else <laughs> until it does happen. Uh, 
Have you, you played here by now, I assume? No, next week. Oh, of course. Uh, after the international break, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so what, how are you finding this atmosphere compared with, say, a football game at what yeah, a stadium like Honestly, I've I said it to a few people before I come out here. I think this is much better than Wembley in terms of the atmosphere. It's really intense. Everyone's on top of each other. But in, in a good way that you hear everyone speaking. And I can, I can only imagine playing in this game in a high-intensity game that the fans would be right with you and definitely be the 12th man. But today, I've been here since about 4.30 and uh, really enjoyed the build-up and everyone getting in. And it's been easy to get to as well, which is always a struggle when you're in London. Back on the sideline at the beautiful Tottenham Stadium. What an occasion we've had so far. Delighted to say, former Ireland international Nile O'Brien with me. Now, you've just told me you're a Raiders fan. No, They've no. just got a big interception down in the red zone. I'm not sure this is going to be the best interview because I think you're going to get distracted. I am distracted. The boys are playing well. It's been a pretty tight first quarter, but the boys have come out flying. Jacobs with a great touchdown. Interception. So I'm the lucky charm here on the, on the pitch. <laughs> you're a big NFL fan then by the love sounds it. of it. Love it. All my family. I'm one of six kids. Five boys, one girl. Every one of the boys sports a team, a different team. So it's absolutely unbelievable. We've got a Vikings fan, Eagles fan, Cowboys. Oh, two Raiders fans, I beg your pardon. Have you been, to, to, been able to take in a lot of the London games? Obviously, you were playing up until a couple of years ago. So have you managed to get to a lot of the International Series games before? Haven't been to any. I've been to a few uh, college ball games in Ireland at the Aviva Stadium, oh, yeah. uh, which is pretty cool. Notre Dame came a few times, so I watched Notre Dame. I've did, never been... I did the Penn State game a couple yeah, of years fantastic. ago. fantastic. A bit, bit wet, wasn't it? Uh, I got very wet. I was in the lower bowl behind the end zone, and I got soaked. <laughs> no, that was good. I was in a bit of better seat, I think, then. But uh, no, this is great. I love it. Uh, you wouldn't think this is a football ground, really fantastic atmosphere I think the Raiders we've gotten the tourists for like having a crazy fans and I'm a bit eccentric but the Bears fans are unbelievable yeah and it has been noise from both ends at the moment it doesn't feel like a home game for either side it's almost got that Super Bowl like atmosphere it's incredible like I've been to a few sporting events in America and the fans make the event but this is exceptional like some of the costumes I wish I put on a mask or something. I feel really underdressed, actually. I was getting in trouble from fellow TalkSport presenters because they were like, well, you've got to wear like a bright orange suit or something down on the sideline. But it's not happening. It's never happening. The situation in the Pacific is worse than reported. The Japanese are planning something big. What's the target? Midway. From the director of Independence Day. A couple dozen planes. It's all Japanese fleet. We got the order to launch. Discover. The incredible true story. Today we're going to be underdogs. Of the World War II battle. Good luck, boys. Fire! Midway. Download and keep now. Right, uh, that was the guys down on pitch side. And, and you know, I've said it already, but I had a, a lovely time doing that. And we're going to have more of it coming this weekend with the, the show on Talk Sport. Uh, it was a little bit of a slog going back and doing Sunday night football, mainly because the Indianapolis Colts uh, managed to keep down the one thing that I was excited about, about doing Sunday night football that night, which is like, well, it's always a joy to watch Patrick Mahomes. Um should we talk? I mean, we need to talk about some of the games for the weekend. I guess we need to talk about Jay Gruden, probably Monday Night Football. Do, do you think that uh, Washington were right to move on from Jay Gruden at this point? Not just in general, but at this point. I mean, the, yeah, the, the, the videos of him out on the out on the bayers didn't help. I mean, ridiculous for an NFL head coach to be filmed essentially hammered. In in what I assume was Washington on the week of a game, uh, presuming that the video was from this week, which I think it was. Um, 
Yeah, of course. But I mean, you know, they, they should fire everyone. I mean, Bruce Allen, an astonishing career of shambles that somehow remains him in this kind of job. I mean, it's just absolutely shambolic. Outside of once luring Jim Kelly to the USFL under the noses of um, of the Buffalo Bills, I, I'm not really sure what what Bruce Allen has, has ever done in his executive career to still be employed. I mean, it's just an absolute shambles, his his track record. The only thing he has is... Is a is a is a father who obviously passed away many years ago. Who was one of the greatest head coaches in NFL history. I mean, it's 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 just astonishing. But it it just sums up the club, doesn't it? You know, they've got the worst owner in the NFL, um, one of the best fan bases in the NFL. Who have to watch all this nonsense unfold, and it, it's just they are they are the NFL's ultimate shambles club. Um, my feeling on it is that. Andrew Brandt wrote an interesting piece for, I think it was for SI actually, which is now obviously the sad news about the way that they've um, managed to cull about 50 excellent journalists this past weekend. But um, he wrote a piece about the Miami Dolphins, about how, you know, people might not like the, t- might not like the tanking, but at least they have a plan and are trying to do something. I think they've gone away from it a bit with the loss of the talent of the, the Minkers and the, and the Laramie Tunsils that maybe they've been a little bit too drawn in. But the fact is, is that if I'm a Washington fan right now, I'm looking at it and thinking, at least Miami do have a plan. At least they've got something that they're trying to do. We're just rudderless. We're just aimlessly making these changes seemingly on the hoof. Jake Gruden, we all saw at the end of last season, was probably destined to go at the end of this season. And yet they seem to have the intention of taking a quarterback in the first round. Why not make that change? I'm a big fan as well of making a a front office change and a head coaching change at the same time. So you can get that kind of synergy of guys if you're planning to make the change of both. Obviously, there there are places where they're happy with their front office, say, like with Rick Spielman at the Vikings, where when they made the Zimmer change, they weren't going to change him. But if you're going to make an all-round change, I'm, I just think you do it, you reset, you look to the future. This is just wishy-washy. This is just, oh, we tried it for a bit. It didn't really work. We threw in the other quarterback. It didn't really work. We haven't managed to figure it out with our you know, all-pro potential Hall of Fame left tackle. But, you know, we could have traded him, but we didn't. We kind of just let it lie. And it's just been a mess. It's been an absolute mess. And I, I, just, I, just... I, I feel bad for fans of Washington. I do. Just look at the coaches who have failed under this owner. Yeah. Marty Schottenheimer, Joe Gibbs. I mean, Joe Gibbs is a slightly unusual one because he, he kind of brought it back around, brought, was bringing something together and then ultimately ended up just, just leaving because he, 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 was, he was kind of a little bit older. But, um, I mean, Mike Shanahan's the big one for me. I, 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 I've said this a couple of podcasts ago and you only have to watch games coached by his son at the moment, to say that he is one of the greatest minds in NFL history. Just look around the league. Look at all of the Mike Shanahan disciples around the league and, and the, the the hottest young coaches in the NFL. I mean, and he failed there because the owner pushed Robert Griffin III on him, who has turned out to be a failure as a quarterback despite having an amazing rookie year that was because of how good the Shanahans were. I mean, it, there's a common denominator in all this, and it isn't Jay Gruden. And I, I don't think Jay Gruden is a good coach. I, I wouldn't give him a head coaching job if I was employing somebody tomorrow. But by the same account, I know where I'm putting the blame for, for, the, for the general dysfunction, and it's, it's not on him. 
it's um it's funny that I I was so I was going to ask you about something the, the, this whole like head coach versus offensive mind versus good schemer all that kind of thing. Um, I was listening to the MMQB podcast actually while I was going to and from the estate agents, which is why I was late for the show, and. Someone threw something out there about the Jets. I think both the guys who were doing the show, which was Gary Gramling and uh, Jonathan Joseph on this week's show, I think, um, they said that they both had predicted that the Jets could be a playoff team this year and have obviously been left. I, now, I've said I'm never going to predict that under Adam Gase because I'm not convinced he's a head coach. Jonathan Joseph said something along the lines of, but I think he's a top five offensive schemer in the NFL. And in my mind, I immediately went, right, McDaniels, McVay, Shanahan, Reich, uh, maybe Peterson, although I'm not really sure who's scheming that Eagles offense. That just immediately sprung to mind for me. I'm not even sure Adam Gase is in that kind of league with those guys either. Am I, am I being biased because of his time as a head coach? Do, do, is he still got the potential to be that good if someone gives him another chance? Because I don't think he lasts at the Jets. Um, I, I mean, it's a, it's a really tough evaluation because, you know, there's that debate in your mind as to, to who was more responsible out of him and Peyton Manning in Denver. He gets a lot of credit for Tim Tebow, but he was only the quarterback's coach. I'm not sure I can think of another quarterback's coach in history who's been given more credit for a run posthumously than that. John um, Di Filippo. Yeah, maybe. Absolutely. And we saw that worked out when he became a, an OC. Um I thought his best year was in Chicago with Cutler. I mean, that was that was his, some of his most impressive work. Um, you know, ultimately, yes, I do think he can be that guy, simply because how often do we see, like, you know, Chuck Pagano's defences were never great in Indianapolis. I'm aware Pagano didn't have a great week just gone, but he's been very good for the Bears so far. So, so yeah, I, I think he does have the potential to be that, but he, yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to get Ollie's take. What do you think? I don't think that Gase potentially. I don't think he. I don't really think he's got it. He, I think when you look at Luke Falk, who is a guy that he's taken with him to yep. two teams now and isn't an NFL quarterback, I think you've got to look at his evaluation of players, and therefore that's and got Cutler, to that's Cutler got to well. brought back Cutler, who who was dreadful. I think you have to take all that kind of stuff into consideration when it comes to. Not even, not just the offensive scheming, but the the talent evaluation. And I, I, I just, I, I think he's seeing a different game to other, everyone else. And I'm not sure that he even gets another job in the NFL because he's that bad. Look, let's move on to Monday Night Football. Um, the four and O San Francisco 49ers beating the Cleveland Browns. What was it 30, 31 three? Right. Yeah, thirty-one-three. I've got it on my screen right now. I've just seen Joe Nick Bosa, Joey, but Nick Bosa bust through the line and uh, take down. I think it was Nick Chubb. A bit of help from a, a safety that's come down. Jacquees Tart too. This 49ers team are looking really spunky, aren't they, Willie? It was really interesting last night from the defensive scheming point of view. And honestly, I watched last night and um, other than the fact that I did feel a little bit sorry for some of the Bears fans of the world, I um, some of the Bears fans, some of the Browns fans uh, that we know, I, I, I watched this game and beyond the only, the, the small frustration that we probably could have put 40, if not 50 up, if we'd been more efficient and not had a problem with our snapping and holding on the field goals. And I'm not blaming Robbie Gould for that, uh, for, for any of those missed kicks at all. Um, you know, if, if outside of that, 
this has been the most excited I've been watching the 49ers since 2011, since 2012, certainly since Harbour. Um, I, uh, my kind of feeling on it was, it was interesting last night with Salah. What he did was, we, we've got a, this incredible kind of four slash five man front where there's five first round picks in there and, and Bar, Solomon, Thomas, they're all producing at this point now. Eric Armstead's taken a big step forward with the rest of the talent around him. But we haven't been blitzing because it's so strong. And then last night, he saw a bit of a, seemed to see a bit of a, a hick in the game of the Browns. And a, about midway through the second quarter, he suddenly started bringing linebackers. Kwan Alexander, you mentioned about Jasky Tart getting involved. And they were just like, just going to bring five and just sack you constantly. We're just never going to let you get anything going. The Browns had the one really good drive where they got the run game going, got down to the red zone. Uh, and then Antonio Callaway essentially threw the ball up into the air for somebody to, to catch and intercept. It was one of the worst drop slash fumbles I've seen in a very long time when it should have been a touchdown. Outside of that, there was yeah, the run game was brilliant. The blocking scheme was fantastic. His best game I've seen from Western Richburg since he's been there and they paid him all that money. Karl Juszczyk was fantastic. Kittle continues to be brilliant. The defense was great. Garoppolo didn't make the, the mistakes this week. I just don't know what the strength of the opposite. I still don't know the strength of any of the opposition we face this season. I want to see us against a good team. And I think us going to Los Angeles next week. That's much more of a test, even with some of the issues that they've had. The, um, you know, if you want to get more excited, well, you know, there are obvious parallels to be drawn here. And I don't want to give away the, <laughs> the cover story of the next magazine too much, but, um, I, I interviewed George Kittle a few months ago, and he is one of several people, including Jerry Rice and Ronnie Lott and Fred Warner and Marquise Goodwin. We've interviewed for the cover story in the next mag, so it's a really big one for us. Um, I might actually read he, this one. He called George Kittle, he called Carl Shanahan a genius. Now, a, a few years ago, a couple of decades ago, there was another coach who got called the genius who had a very unspectacular first two years and then from nowhere the San Francisco 49ers went and won the Super Bowl so there are some parallels to be drawn between what we're seeing now with Kyle Shanahan the potential great offensive mind in this generation and what Bill Walsh did in, in 1981 and you know I think for me that the performance taps into my big takeaway from this weekend which is you know Bill Belichick is nearly 70 years old I look around the NFL and see a death of great coaches, uh, older coaches, you know, outside of the likes of Andy Reid and Pete Carroll, potentially, although he's undermined himself a little bit the last couple of years. But this weekend, I think the biggest victories came from coaching. And, you know, Sean McDermott again against Tennessee. I mean, he is, to me, the best young coach in football alongside Frank Reich. And what I loved about that Colts game is it was a victory for coaching. You know, everybody talks about game plans going into games, but what people don't talk about enough is the is the wider plan within the game. And what the Chiefs did, uh, the Colts did against the Chiefs is kind of what I alluded to on the last pod, which is control the ball, win on third down, stop the Chiefs getting possessions. And then separate to that, you know, that zone defence that got absolutely annihilated by John Gruden and the, and the Raiders last week plays a load of man-to-man against Patrick Mahomes, com- completely confuses them. That was a that was a victory on the road in a, in a playoff style game that we could see a repeat of in in the new year 
and that is massive. And then John Gruden, another guy. That was a great coaching performance, mm-hmm. attacking the edges of the Bears' defense. Some of the designers, some of their passing players, particularly the tight ends, without your number one receiver against the best defense in football. And then Kyle Shanahan goes and does the same thing against the Browns coach, who again looks completely overmatched with a very talented team. And and and. Then you point at all those guys and you say, well, actually, I get that John Gruden isn't a young coach anymore because he's won a Super Bowl, but he's, you know, he's come back. He had a lot. He had a lot to prove, and you can see that now. What they're starting to build in Auckland, you know, great offensive line, and 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 it's exciting. I, I'm obsessed in coaching. I, I really am. I, I, I feel like it's the thing that I watch out most for. I mean, I enjoyed the Chiefs-Colts game for that reason because it's just great to watch the, the little battles that determine I'll, the game. Uh, I'll tell you now, it was a difficult game when you'd been uh, on a night shift the night before <laughs> and worked like a 15-hour day or whatever ridiculous thing it was. And when that second half, they're up just the, the scoreless third quarter and the three field goals in the fourth quarter. Yes, there was great coaching to talk about, but... You found there were a lot of three and outs, a lot of cutting back to the studio, uh, <laughs> a lot of me finding things to talk about while I was very tired. I think we just about pulled it off. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely with you. And I'm even being one around to Gruden. But I, I, I still stand by the fact that it's it's this was a brilliant performance. I still think they got the Colts at the right moment. I still want to, like, there's got to be some consistency. It's better than I thought it was going to be, but I'm not going to suddenly hail him as I mean, the, the guy he was in 2002. Like, that's I not... think if they go 8-8, eight eight, it's a good season, though. So, you know, they've got... Mm, yeah. uh, and, I mean, it, it, that, that's where they're at as a very, very young team. Well, somebody and... speculated on on Sunday, could they, could they get a winning record? And I think if you look at the last two weeks and you ask this team, do you think you could win six of your remaining 13 games? Well, no, no, it's not 13. No, uh, six Hello. of your last 10, 11 games. Of course they would say yeah. yes to that. Listen, I said, it, I said it at the weekend. I think I've, um, I've got to apologise to the people about John Gruden. I thought this game was brilliant for him. Um, Here you go. I think it's, I mean, I thought, I think it's taken a season, a quarter, a season and a quarter, Sherry, for him to get his coaching legs back. And this game was perfect for him. Big stage, new arena, um, you know, he is this bombastic individual who's come back from TV and, and he reveled in this thing. It, it, so much so that he led the team out. There wasn't the whole team captains coming out. We're led out by me. I'm the big man. I'm John Gruden. I'll lead this team out. And it was all about him. And he, he turned up the, the, the trick play, the, 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 um, the stopping of Khalil Mack. Has anyone seen Khalil Mack? Um, <laughs> the, um, the, the, the emergence of that defense. I know he has coordinators helping him out, but all of that, it, it was a great performance against the Bears. And that was coaching. It was, it was superb. And from the, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Sherry. Cause, cause, cause we got into this talking about the, the Brown. Sorry, you said go ahead, Sherry. And then I launched in, uh, classic Willie. <laughs> um, cause we started this off talking about the, the, the Browns 49ers. Just to give an idea of, from the perspective of this game last night, from how bad this Freddie Kitchens team was, Mayfield, 100 yards and two interceptions, just eight complete passes on the game. They had, um, that, that play that I referred to, the one good drive they have where Callaway should have caught it. It went up into the air and K1 Williams intercepted it. That was with four minutes and 45 seconds left in the first half. The Browns put number of plays inside 49ers territory for the remainder of the game. Zero. 
Yeah. They didn't have another play over the 50 yard line. And I know, and it was the 49ers were good and they did, they were steady. And I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was, I think he had one pass over 20 yards downfield. You know, they weren't looking to tear this team apart, which maybe I wanted that a bit. Maybe I wanted the statement. Maybe I wanted the right. Let's just show how good we are, but they just took it steady. They didn't make mistakes. I think it was a good coaching performance. There were some others around the league this weekend, which highlight the coaching issues, the Cowboys was the other yeah, one. Yeah, that, that, that's it. Yeah, I mean, that, that was what I was going to say. Like, uh, you, as much as we can talk about the good, I would say the biggest losers this week were, were also responsible for coaching in the negative sense. Yeah, Jason Garrett. And look, I, uh, there is a question mark over the two Dak Prescott performances of the last two weeks. It's harsh to take a guy who does have his unbelievable record in fourth quarters and of game-winning drives and, and everything else to just turn around. And he was brilliant in the first three weeks. Yes, against bad teams, but you can only beat what's in front of you. Cliche, cliche, cliche. There is some concern there, and he did make some bad throws and mistakes, but he was put in a really, really rough position by play calling and coaching. And, yeah, we talked about how much this Packers team can be run on. You've got Ezekiel Elliott. You've got a line which, even without a couple of starters, is still good enough to run the ball. And you just went, oh, we're behind. We better throw it 60-plus times, Oh, despite the fact that our quarterback's having a tough day. It just, none of it worked for me. None of it. Yeah, and even more ridiculous when you consider that, you know, Tyron Smith was out and Lyle Collins went into the game, banged up and eventually had to go go off the field with an injury. So you're down your two tackles as well. You can still run the ball in those circumstances, especially with potentially the best interior offensive line in football. But it's it's a lot more difficult in pass protection against potentially the best edge rushing combination in football, certainly right up there in the in the Smith Brothers. And and that gets at the problem with the plan. I mean, I, I hadn't seen the game yesterday and the first question I asked a, a Cowboys friend in our group was 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 how much help did they give um or who played left tackle, the guy who used to be at the Patriots, whose name has escaped me from Stanford. Oh, what's he called? Yeah, the backup left tackle will get I'll think of his name in a second. <laughs> for some reason left me here. But I asked how much help did they give him because I, I've watched a lot of, of Cowboys games when Smith's been out because he just get injured, Tyron Smith. It's uh, it's one of those things. And and the answer was, Cam- was very little. It's not Cam Fleming you're thinking of. Yeah, it? it's Cam Fleming, yeah. Oh, so, Cam yeah, Fleming. how much help did they give Fleming? And the answer was not very much. And and that's a staple of Jason Garrett. You know, you, can, you can't just blame Scott Linehan because Callum Moore was the offensive coordinator now and it, it seemed like it was the same story again. And and that's just criminal, isn't it? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just completely unacceptable. So, so yeah, and, and, and then I feel that the, you could say the same about the Browns. I mean, the Freddie Kitchens hire is looking worse by the week. Somebody needs to get... I mean, the fact that Richard Sherman is the guy telling Baker Mayfield off for... For, for being so outspoken is is a little bit comical, I think, given what he was <laughs> earlier on in his career. But at the end of the day, Richard Sherman is now a Hall of Famer who's probably learned some lessons. Somebody needs to get hold of Berger Mayfield. It's just not the way a quarterback goes on. You don't rub teams up the wrong way. I know that people don't think that this kind of thing matters, but, you know, it kind of does matter. Never, ever give the opponent one more reason to want to beat you. And, and, and I, I have gone from really liking Baker Mayfield and and loving the Browns because I want to see them win. So actually, I'm quite enjoying it. I'm quite enjoying watching the the shambles that engulfs them most weeks because you know just shut your mouth and play. You, you you're a second year quarterback. You're not 
you're not a Hall of Famer yet, like Richard Sherman, who you refused to shake hands with before the game. You know, get a grip. You've won one game on the road against Baltimore. I I don't mind a bit of it. I don't mind a bit of swagger. I don't mind a bit of attitude. I don't mind a bit of... There can be a balance. You don't have to be kind of Daniel Jones, who seems to be off the field, uh, like basically they've gone and drafted Eli Manning 2.0, though he's clearly got more ability on the field thus far based on the current Eli Manning. Like you don't have to be Russell Wilson off the field, uh, but it helps if you're Russell Wilson on the field, obviously. Like, you know, when he had the little dig, uh, somebody asked him about what Rex Ryan had to say, and he was like, well, Rex Ryan's not in a job right now. Why should I actually care? I don't mind a little bit of that. But you have to back it up if you do it. And he's not right now. Uh, yeah, it's it's there is too much. And I think maybe. Well, again, it's this is the coaching show. Apparently today it comes back down to coaching. You know, would he be even allowed to behave like that if he was playing a franchise that had somebody in charge with some authority? Probably I think coach, I would say I th- not. I think coaching wise, if, if you go back to the, the Packers game, we've we spoke about Garrett and how bad that that whole thing was from their point of view but from a Packers point of view what a big win for them 34 points on the road and Matt LaFleur giving the ball to Aaron Jones I think that's genius would Rodgers didn't play that well well. you're right but I I don't think he needed to because of how dominant the run was I thought it was another good step for Rodgers though you know it wasn't him not playing well like the first three weeks of the season I thought he made some some really nice players in this game against a really good defense on the road. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not taking shots by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. I'm just saying that's a good sign, knowing that he's a guy who you saw what he did in the second half against. Remind me who it was you beat when he suddenly started freelancing left, right, and center and played really well. Uh, the Eagles. The Eagles. That's the exact game I'm talking about. Like that's the that, that that's. I know they didn't win that game, but that's the. You can see how brilliant he can be when given that opportunity. So. And then, you, can't, you can't argue with Matt LaFleur's record. I mean, I, I think a lot of it is propped up by, by his coordinator and I'm still, I'm still not convinced, but you can't, you can't necessarily argue with, with the record. I mean, who would you guys have as, have as coach of the year at the moment? It's a tough one because you, you inevitably look at the teams that, are, that have the O, but both of those teams have, have played non-event teams so far. Teams that I, I mean, know. You say that, but where it's one on the road against the team who are now four and one. I, I so, suppose no. against the Bills. Okay, so they've played one so, team. Here's the thing: in their five we and take, we, we have to take Bill Belichick out of the mix anyway. Because yeah, absolutely, because he has no they, chance they, of winning unless they go sixteen and oh, he's not winning it. He's not a chance. It's amazing how they just refuse to give him the, the, the award, despite the fact he's clearly been the best coach in football, the certainly over part, the last five years. The funny part is, if they don't name it the Lombardi-Belichick trophy, which I, I think they might, like then the next best option is to name the trophy that they refuse to give him because he was so good after him, like the coach of the year award. It's so, it's so hilarious. I mean, do I ask that question? We're not even going to discuss Belichick. He's got no chance of winning it. Okay, even though he's I, I think they're the defensive players. I think there's a clear, there's a clear option. And it's um, Sean Payton. Um, they could easily be five and zero if it wasn't for Breeze going down and a call potential, a, a wrong call being being made in the, in a play being whistled before it should have been. Um, goes into Seattle, wins big. He's lost his he's lost Breeze, but he beats a, a pretty hot Tampa uh, Tampa Bay team last weekend with Teddy Bridgewater under centre. He's still doing funky and, and tricky things. I think. He has to be in that conversation 
of the best coach so far? Uh, Sean McDermott is the other one. That, um, yeah, I'd, yeah I'd great point. Yeah, I mean, I know. I know I'm, I'm with. I'm, I'm. I am with. Uh, I am with Ollie. The two yeah. Sean's between them have both been excellent. Sean but, twins. Uh, <laughs> Sean, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is better than Josh Allen by a significant margin, and I think the interesting part about Ooh, the Bills significant. Is... Ooh, I oh, don't know, buddy. Have you watched Josh Allen play football? Have you watched oh, Bambi play football? Terrible. It's Teddy Bridgewater. Well, Bridgewater has grown into the game over the last few days. And actually, I think there's there's a risk that that performance against the Bucks this week, who, let's not forget, have been a pretty decent defence this year, mostly overall. I think somebody might give the Saints something for Teddy Bridgewater and give Bridgewater a proper contract and try and make I mean, him a starter. The other element we shouldn't forget with Bridgewater is is that he, he had to get over that injury at some point. Like, that was always going to take a significant amount of time. And, I mean, the Bucks have the best run defence in the NFL based on strength of schedule as well. But I will go with McDermott. I mean, the way they have to manufacture offence every week to score any points and then the way their defence plays, I just think it's incredible. They had Devin Sengletree. He's been out the last couple of weeks as well. So they've had to lean on a friend of mine, Frank Gore, so who is could be my dad he's that old so um yeah I suppose you're right what he's working with and both defense offense and special teams crucially as well all kind of working together symbiotically and with synergy maybe yeah maybe you're right with with uh with McDermott I I think it's a coin flip between the two I mean I, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't argue with either I mean you probably couldn't argue with the the team who's the coach of a team who was five and zero and giving up seven points a game, either. But you know, you probably couldn't seven. argue with the team that were four and zero when everyone came to the season saying, "What are they?" I'm Absolutely. Ju- well, they will be the early four. Buy. Stupid early buy. I just, I want the buy in like week ten when I've stopped enjoying watching this team because we've fallen to pieces, which is inevitably going to happen. But for now, I'm going to enjoy it. Sherry can see me holding up my 49ers mug <laughs> and loving life. It seems like a long time ago you were at a game with a Rams shirt on, doesn't it? <laughs> with a Rams it poncho. With a, a Rams poncho, thank you very much. And I don't regret that decision in any way, shape or form. It was fun. It, and like, I, I, yeah, I'm not even getting back into that again. If the 49 had been relevant that year, I probably wouldn't have done it. But it was funny. And then MVP is between Russell Wilson and Christian McCaffrey, we think. So yeah, I mean, it's it, like the Mahomes performance on Sunday, which we've not talked about uh, a, a huge amount. But even with the ankle, you you said it, they switched to that man and that caused him all sorts of problems. And that's the second time we've seen that uh, for Mahomes in the last uh, in the last, what, six or seven games from him. So to be able to keep a team that's been scored, that has never scored less than 25 points, no, never less than 26 points with that coaching quarterback combination to, to 13 is, is incredible. Um, so, I mean, actually, and Frank Wright, Frank Wright should probably be thrown into well. coach of the year as well. I mean, you lose your starting quarterback through an unexpected retirement just ahead of the season. And you, you know, it's an uphill struggle from there. For he most, might, but... And with the other injuries they've had, he might be the actual right choice. Um, but... Oh, the right choice. <laughs> hey, here we go. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, all in all, I feel that, uh, yeah, I feel that the um, I feel I don't know what I feel anymore. I, I feel well, like I think you could chuck Mahomes in Holmes is is probably slipped in the MVP race because of that performance, and Russell Wilson now is sole controller of Numero Uno. Yeah, they're not. It's, it's been a long time since they gave it to a running back, isn't it? But um, Dalvin Cook, 
he's got over 700 yards from scrimmage. He, if it wasn't for a fumble on the one-yard line in the past game, he'd have had an extra touchdown, a le- one less fumble, and people would be talking about him even more. I think he's had a stunning start to the season. Look, we have run massively long, gentlemen. No, we haven't. We've run just right, I think. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Look, does anyone else have any <laughs> any final thoughts about the weekend, about potential MVPs, about... Um, about the best coaches or do we love you and leave you pick up with a bit of pre-Tottenham chat later on in the week and uh, we go again for week six sounds good buddy I mean we don't need to talk about Thursday night football is there a game Thursday night I don't know no there never is no (laughs) it's it's Patriots Giants Oh. oh I'll tell you what we might do because it's Thursday night, we might, we might do two NFL 100 shows if Will has the time. We'll record one and release it tomorrow for the Patriots Giants, and we'll do another one for the other game that was on the list that I've now forgotten. What was the other game, Will? Oh, yeah, uh, Dolphins against uh, Washington Super Bowl 7. All right, sounds good. All right, all righty so then. We'll ch- chat a little bit about Thursday night football and that show. Beautiful. Uh, Ollie, any final thoughts? No final thoughts. All right. Well, as you were hosting, you should wrap us up, buddy. All the socials at Gridiron, Gridiron Hyphen Magazine, on the web, uh, at TalkGav, at Ollie Hunter. The web. <laughs> on the web, I know. <laughs> on, the, on the World Wide Web. Uh, at Matthew Gridiron. Hit us up with your socials. Hit us up. And YouTube. We got lots of videos uh, on YouTube. And astonishingly, 16,000 people have watched my interview with Richie Incognito, which is just mind boggling. <laughs> did, you, did you ask him about the insanely dirty hit that he had in the game? No. You're always the worst human being I've ever met. <laughs> You're the worst human being I've ever met. Right. Go and check that out on uh, YouTube. I'm doing that right as we speak. This has been The Gridiron Show.